You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading this episode. Hey, if you have any questions for me, they are more important than ever as the new format does rely on your questions. And it's also important to me because I have been getting so many emails and have had limited time to get to them. It's even harder for me to even pretend like I can get to all these emails. So this new format is a way for me to answer the frequently asked questions in a format that a lot of people can benefit from. And hopefully by doing these podcasts very regularly, I'll be able to um, have a, a big catalog, if you will, of podcasts that I can send to people when they ask that question. So it's it's trying to be helpful in that way too. So that's another reason why your questions for the podcast are important. If you want to send them in, there's a variety of websites that you can send them into. All the contact forms and all my websites go to my inbox. So you can just go to anywhere that you know is my website, nowhere to run radio dot com, stop sleep paralysis dot com, ancient aliens debunk dot com, uh, Bible prophecy talk. Did I say that already? Anyway, all of those go to the same place and any other one that you know is mine. First off, I wanted to thank anybody that applied for the Stop Sleep Paralysis ministry position that I mentioned a few podcasts back. I finally made a decision about that, though it was not an easy decision to say the least. There were so many perfect applicants. It was a really difficult decision to make, but uh, there was one that just really jumped out at me, and I'm really excited about all the ministry that we can do. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more about this in future podcasts, so I'm just going to save the reasons for why I think this is going to be awesome uh, for later, but now I just wanted to make the announcement that I did make a decision about that, so that position is filled. Thank you so much to all of you who applied for it. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is the Mystery Babylon book. There are so many things that I would want to talk about right now, but I'll try to be brief and just talk about the most important things. First of all, thank you to anybody that reviewed it on Amazon. I did that very brief podcast where I asked people to review it on Amazon and explained how important reviews are in the Amazon scheme. I mean, their algorithm puts so much emphasis on um, on that, as well as since I'm about to launch it next week and a whole bunch of negative reviews are going to start coming in, um, these, these early positive reviews are going to help sort of offset that because, because here's the other thing that I wanted to mention about this is that I've been planning this sort of uh, audio book tour going on different podcasts and things like that of people that are, you know, big in the in the Bible prophecy world and stuff like that. And as I'm on their sites, I'm thinking, this person is never going to have me on their show. I mean, th- their their views and things like that are would not be favorable to this theory. Um, as as biblical as I think it is, and as true as that I think it is, it's just not going to jive well with a lot of the podcasts that I want to discuss it on. And that's really one of the reasons I want all this stuff to happen is to to get this on high ranking on Amazon and to is to be able to inject this idea and to begin to open a dialogue and with these uh, uh, particular people that are very big in the Bible prophecy world. So if it works out, it's going to be a bunch of heated debates and fights and stuff on these shows, which is probably going to make for good radio, but it's going to be a tough road to even get on the shows. So having this rank high independently on Amazon or wherever is going to be really the way that's going to force the conversation on this, or at least force a conversation that is challenging to uh, our opinions and that is highlighting the scriptures more. It's really scripture dependent. I know that everybody says, well, my view is more biblical than your view. Everybody says that. But I think that even if all that happens with this is that uh, uh, challenging a lot of the sort of loosey-goosey views about the Antichrist and the end times uh, and forcing them to comply more with Scripture is something that I hope uh, can be achieved um, in the long term. But I said I wasn't going to ramble about this, but here I am rambling. This is the reason I mentioned all that, is that because it's going to be nearly impossible to get on a lot of these shows with this concept... Um, I'm asking anybody out there that has a podcast or knows somebody that has a podcast or listens to a, a podcast or has a um, whatever, if they would consider having me on their show. So I'm inviting myself onto your podcast, basically, right now. If you want to talk about this uh, theory, this book, or you want to fight about it or whatever, that's fine, too. So just email me. I'll send you you know, a free copy of the uh, uh, the book or, or whatever you want to do, 
and we will uh, will schedule a time to do the interview if you want. So that's what I wanted to mention there. And to recap on this, the launch should be early next week. The paperback will be out. Uh, right now you can get the low price and see the trailer um, for the first time. Nobody else can see it right now except for anybody that has this link, BibleProphecyTalk.com slash mystery, M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y. Okay, enough of that. Let's get right into the questions. Question number one. Okay, question number one is another one of these amalgamation questions. I get this question in a lot of forums all the time, and so this is a way to answer all of those questions without singling out any particular one. So the question is mostly about an unbelieving spouse. Your wife or your husband is not a Christian, or maybe I can even broaden it out a little bit, that whether you are both Christians, but one of you is sort of maybe not quite there, they're Christian in name only, or maybe even you're both Christians, but there are marital strains going on. This can The answer to this question can apply to a lot of these groups, though I'm going to really focus on the idea of the unbelieving spouse and how to uh, the best thing that you can do to to hopefully see them converted to Christianity to to following Jesus Christ. Now, first out of the gates, ultimately it's not up to you um, whether or not they ultimately become a Christian or not. And your life and your uh, goals in life and everything else have to not be dependent upon that. You know, I will, if only my life would be fine, if only they were a Christian, you know, try not to fall into the rut of when that happens then, uh, try to, try to really be okay with it never happening and still being able to have, able to have joy in your life. Okay. I think that's an important thing to say because it's, it's not really how much you do any of the things I'm talking about because it still may never happen because of a number of factors we could get into you know, a lot of things about why that may never happen. But I think that the Bible gives us ways to really, really, really um, increase the chances of that happening. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, First, I think that most of the time when I hear from people about this, their priorities about how to do this are all sort of mixed up. They think that they're what their job is here is a lot of stuff that it isn't. Um, Like evangelism or apologetics and these kinds of things. Now, don't get me wrong. These things are extremely important. Especially if your unbelieving spouse is always asking about these things or clearly has barriers to the gospel based on apologetic stuff. In that case, absolutely. Just as Peter says, it's your uh, duty to, to give people a reason for the hope that lies in you and to do it with meekness and fear. It's to, to be humble while you're doing it. But, but certainly, if, if, if apologetics is important to this, then you need to be as expert, uh, much of an expert as you can be on those issues. And it's okay if you don't know the answer to their complicated questions. I mean, how could you know all those answers to all those questions? So it's okay to tell them, look, I don't know the answer to that question yet, but I want to know the answer too. I mean, because I don't want to believe anything that's untrue. So I'll go try to figure it out and um, I'll let you know when I find something out. And you don't have to run back as soon as you find the answer. You can just bring it up in casual conversation. Hey, you know, I... Uh, had been researching about that question you asked, and there here's some interesting things to think about about that. And these things you can find any number of places. I always basically cross-reference any kind of apologetics question with the term apologetics in Google, and it take you to really good apologetic sites about that particular issue. Because almost any question that anybody's ever going to ask has been answered on some apologetics website in triplicate. You know, so there's three apologetic websites that have done a really good job, and you could read read them and see if you think that that answer makes sense. And if it doesn't, you may need to dig a little deeper. But I think the reason the Bible doesn't say, for your unbelieving spouse, make sure you uh, answer all their apologetics questions, is because even if you answered all these questions perfectly, most of the times it's not going to change anything. It may soften up some of the barriers to them actually uh, being saved, but it's not going to be the thing that saves them, number one. And number two, it could be the person's heart for whatever reason, maybe even reasons that they don't even know or can articulate well themselves, whatever reason they don't, uh, you know, they're, they're resistant or rebellious against the idea of Christianity for whatever reason, and they're throwing out these questions to you to just sort of be a way to 
you know, throw smoke screens out and try not to deal with it, knowing that it's going to take you time to answer the questions or maybe they know that you can't answer the question or whatever. So their heart really is in a place, is in a place that it's deeper and, and, and needs something else besides the answers to the questions. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but I want to talk first about some of these other mixed-up priorities that the believing spouse has that believes it's their job in trying to win their unbelieving spouse. For example, this is especially true for the Christian conspiracy world, of which I know many of you belong or know about and all that stuff that can hear my voice right now. For you, um, this is important. That is not to get overly crazy with all this stuff and just have and be trying to protect them from all the stuff that you are now learning about on the podcasts and stuff like that and trying to freak out about everything to this unbelieving person and they're seeing you like oh this is what christianity is when my spouse totally freaks out all the time about every little thing oh we can't do that that's pagan that's idolatry oh, we can't help no no and like oh brother you know we did this all the time before and of course there's certain lines that have to be drawn as a christian you know you can't do certain things anymore as a christian uh, you can. Some of those things are obvious. Some of those things are a matter of liberty and are between you and and Christ Himself as to what those things are. Some some of those things are there, but a lot of them are just right down the line. You can't do those anymore. But I think we as, have a tendency in the Christian conspiracy movement to really open up the floodgates of all that stuff that is pagan and idolatry. And that's you can't watch that Disney movie because Disney was part of the New World Order and da 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 da. And you know all this stuff that we could do. And, and of course. I did a, well, of course, you may not know, but I did a video recently called When I Try to Tell People About the New World Order, They Think I'm Crazy. The, uh, the title doesn't really suggest what that video is about, or you can listen to it as a podcast as well, that um, really talks about how we're turning off the people that we love if we're just constantly trying to hammer them with the New World Order stuff every time we talk to them or whatever, it drives them away. And so if that if that isn't at all a part of what you're um, why your marriage is suffering right now. You need to listen to that. Um, but for those of you that have already listened to why, uh, when I try to tell people about the NWO, they think I'm crazy. I want to say to you, a lot of that stuff applies, except for instead of conspiracy New World Order stuff, now it's like veiled in the in the Christian world. So now you're constantly telling your unbelieving spouse that we can't, you know, do the whatever, the Halloween and the Christmas and the, we got to keep the Sabbath and we're doing, you know, you're doing a lot of these other things that you're sort of freaking out about the stuff that you're learning right off the bat, you know, without really, and, and these things are so convincing when you see a video or something about it that you're just like turned on right afterwards without really having a solid foundation of the scripture yet to be like, okay, well, um, where do we stand on this? How, how important is this for me to freak out on my family about? So there might be that kind of thing going on. If that's the issue, you got to know that that's the issue uh, because that's almost certainly the reason your marriage is, is messing up right now. And it's it's not what the Bible is saying either. It's not what the Bible tells you to do. And that's the reason I'm mentioning this, in order to win your unbelieving spouse. Okay, so, um, and it, it has a completely different flavor, you know, than what the Bible does say. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to make sure that I said that for us. Okay, so what does the Bible say our mandate in this situation is? I'm going to kind of s split this up into two categories for a male and a female because I think that though they are almost identical, there are some things that are different enough to split them up. So let me speak to the male out there who has an unbelieving wife. For men, our main job in Scripture about marriage is to love our wives. To love our wives. It sounds too simple. You're like, oh, okay, next podcast. No, there's there's something I want to say specifically about this mandate, about how it saves marriages. Now, there's been entire books written on Ephesians 5. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the definition of the type of love that we're supposed to have for our wives. A sacrificial love. That's what agape is. It's a love that you do. You don't even have to feel emotional love to do agape. It's 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 unnecessary for agape. Uh, we don't have a good English word for what the Bible calls love in that particular verse, agape. But the point is, is that it's something you do. Christ gave himself for us. And it's saying that that's, what, that's the kind of love that we need to have for them. 
Okay, so it's a giving love. Now, that that problem with us men is that we need some instruction about that. Like we need to know how you're supposed to do that. And I think that's why the five love languages is good, but I'll talk more about that in a minute. But the main thing I want to say about this particular idea of loving your wives as a conversion tool for an unbelieving wife is this, that when you compare 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 or so, that we'll talk about at length when we talk about the women and their uh, role for this, is that it, it says that they can convert their unbelieving husbands essentially through their conduct. It says without a word that they will be converted by the conduct of their wives. In this case, basically what it's telling the wife to do is exactly the thing that, it, that in Ephesians 5 tells the wives need to do in order to be good wives. And the husbands, what their one-liner is in order to be good husbands is to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This is the thesis of this excellent book that I recommend all the time called Love and Respect. The thesis is essentially that if husbands and wives did the one thing that the Bible tells them that they have to do in order to be good husbands and wives, that doing that thing, whether the person, other person is into it or not, the other person will respond to it. Um, in the case of love and respect, its thesis is that, that wives need to be and feel loved. And if they are loved, then they will respond and if they do the thing that they're supposed to do, which is to what the Bible says for them to do in Ephesians 5 is to respect their husbands. And if the husbands feel respected, then they will respond with love. So it's kind of this thing that if you do your part, even if the other party doesn't read this book or doesn't want to do this stuff, if you do the thing that the Bible tells you to do, then they will respond. So what I'm trying to tell you here is this, guys, that. The Bible tells us that we can win our spouses to Christ without a word. Does that mean without a word at all? No. It means that without evangelizing and stomping around in apologetics or whatever, without a word of that kind of thing, um, it's telling us that we can do it via doing the thing that Christian spouses are supposed to do, outlined in Ephesians 5. Um, husbands to love your wives and wives to respect your husbands. And that the spouses, the unbelieving spouse's interpretation of your salvation should be that your salvation has turned you into an excellent spouse and that your salvation and your sanctification should be strengthening you to do the nearly impossible tasks that it asks you to do as a Christian spouse, which is to love your life as Christ loved the church. It's hard to do. You're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. And that's what it should be doing. And I think that we as, as men need, really, really, really need to know how to do that love. Because left to our own devices, we'll do a whole bunch of stuff that we're, we're saying, no, I, I love her. I do all this stuff. I could name a list of the stuff that I am doing. I love her and you know, whatever that is not really helping. And it's not really doing the thing that they interpret as love. And for an unbelieving spouse, if your wife is, you know, she's not into Jesus, she's not into those other things, maybe she's into something, you know, completely different, meet her where she's at, you know, and, 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 and just sort of dedicate yourself to loving her in a way that she likes, you know, what, don't, don't try to change what she likes or do things, you know, whatever, but you need to be a good husband. In that way, the one way that we've been given is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And there are two books that I'm going to reference a lot here. And I've referenced them a whole bunch, but I'm going to reference them for different reasons today. The one that's appropriate right now is The Five Love Languages. If you haven't read this book as a husband, you need to. I mean, there's there's no excuse not to do it. It's audio, you know, it's out there in audio. It's on, You can get it. You can basically look up an outline of what the five love languages are and a brief description of them and know which one your wife is. The idea, the thesis of that book is that you can do what you th what makes you feel loved and you could do that to your spouse. Let's say, you know, saying kind words or uh, let's say that makes you 
feel good when somebody says kind words about you or spends a lot of time with you, quality time with you. That's how you interpret love. And you could you say, okay, I got to love my wife, so I'm going to go. I need to spend more time with her, and I need to tell her she's you know what she's doing really good in this particular thing. And fine, if that's her thing, by the way, if her thing is to is words of affirmation, don't just say you know you're pretty or whatever. Affirm her in things that are true about stuff that she really does good. Look for those things that she really is doing good and that she would interpret as uh, a compliment and then give that to her consistently as the book, The Five Level Languages, refers to it as keep her love tank full. If her thing is words of affirmation or quality time, then yes, then you need to do that. And it, and and that loving your wife in that case, and it's interesting about Ephesians 5, is that the word agape there for love is to do and all these things are things that you need to do. It's not, you can love your wife a lot in your heart but that's not what this is talking about you need to do those things uh to show her that you love her and in fact that is how you are loving her and that's how you are agapeing her is by doing the things that she wants you to do in order to be loved to 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 feel loved okay so so whatever that is you need to become an expert in whatever her love language is um you know for example Acts of service, you know, if you're doing the things around the house or helping her with her many tasks or with the kids or whatever, if Christianity to her means that you, that a Christian husband is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the, to be a really, really good husband and that in her mind is, wow, now he really is just his great husband. He's always helping with the dishes. I never even has to ask. He's doing, always asking me what I could do with the kids or whatever it is if her thing is acts of service. But whatever, you've got to, you've got to filter Ephesians 5, love your wives with how do you love your wives and there's probably other ways to understand that, but uh, but the five love languages is a very helpful thing for men. Now, with women, uh, theirs is a little bit different. I think the five love languages applies to women who want to, if this, if this role was reversed. But I think, and it does apply, don't get me wrong, guys have love languages too, and that's how they also uh, feel and interpret love. But for them, I think that the book Love and Respect is actually more important for a woman to read and understand than the five love languages because of their charge in First Peter uh, and also in Ephesians 5 to respect their husbands. For them, they really need to know more about that because sometimes it's hard to respect a husband that's especially maybe he's an unbelieving husband and he's in a, doing a lot of things he shouldn't be doing in a lot of situations that really inhibit your respecting. But what if Christianity in his eyes made you... Um, made you a, a a person who now he sees that interprets that's what Christianity is doing to you is making you basically a really great wife if to men if if what the bible says is true is they interpret great wives in the term uh, and feel loved via respect okay and that i know respect has a very broad term and that's why i think the book is important to read for women and first peter 3 is the story of of that first peter 3 one through five is telling women that you can win your husbands without a word by your conduct conduct and the conduct that it is referring to there is in the context of first peter all about respect essentially um and so it's a really interesting sort of connection there i think one of the greatest examples of this that i've seen in pop culture is from lee strobel Lee Strobel is the guy who wrote A Case for Christ. You know, he was a, he was an atheist and he was, you know, really outspoken against Christianity. And his wife um, became a Christian and started, you know, really her life started changing as she started becoming a Christian. And he discusses in his testimony how afraid he was that this new Christianity was just going to, you know, they were going to ruin their marriage and she was going to be all goody two-shoes and all this stuff was going to happen. And you just always start preaching to him and all this other stuff. And what happened was is that she just became this really excellent wife. She became a really excellent mother to their children. And all this other stuff started happening that in his head was like, that's because she became a Christian. And it was because she became a Christian. And it wasn't just that the spirit that was now in her was changing her desires and everything that goes along with being saved. But she was also being obedient to what the Bible says to do about being a, a wife or a, a, a husband or a, a, all that other stuff. So... His testimony is not one of she convinced him via arguments because here's a guy who was very much an atheist, very much a, a guy who needed to know 
the truth about stuff, and that's the whole idea behind the case for Christ and the case for every other thing that he wrote a book about and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good example of what the Bible says is true about this and that if your Christianity changes uh, you to do those things... I mean, here's another thing about that testimony is that what he was afraid of, what he articulates that he was afraid that was going to happen if she became a Christian, is a lot of times exactly what we're out there trying to do. You know, we're trying to evangelize and beat them over the head with it and, and change their lives and do everything else that was the, his greatest fear that would happen if his if his spouse became saved. So we need to stop those fears of our wives in their or, or their husbands in their tracks by analyzing them and becoming an excellent spouse towards them and giving the glory of that to Christ because it will be him that actually gives you the ability to, to, to do that because it's not easy in those situations. Now, there are a million billion scenarios out there with people's marriage situation, their wife or their husband is, you know, this particular thing and that particular thing. And it, their heart may be hard as Pharaoh's heart and it might not have anything to do with your ability to love them. It might not have anything to do with your ability to evangelize or, or give them the answers to those questions, which again, I think you should do. It might be a supernatural thing. And I think that ultimately we could say it always is. It has to be a work of God to, to get them to be saved. And so in addition to everything else I just said, I need to say something that should be obvious. You need to never stop praying for them even if it's been years and years and years and years. Your prayers are like the thing that's going to do this it, it, when it's all said and done. Um, let me read a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this. He's talking here about the importance of praying consistently for things, and then he gets into the prayer for the unconverted as we go through. It says, If we would prevail, we must persist. We must continue incessantly and constantly, and know no pause to our prayer till we win the mercy to the fullest possible extent. Quote, Men ought always to pray. Week by week, month by month, year by year, the conversion of that dear child is to be the father's main plea. The bringing in of that unconverted husband is to lie upon the wife's heart night and day till she gets it. She is not to take even ten or twenty years of unsuccessful prayer as a reason why she should cease. She is to set God no times nor seasons. But so long as there is life in her and life in the dear object of her solicitude, she is to continue still to plead with the mighty God of Jacob. I would also draw your attention to two really important teachings of Jesus on this exact point. That is the persistence of prayer uh, being a way to affect the hand of God in this situation. So, for example, he tells the parable about the woman who keeps going to the judge and persisting in that until the judge eventually relents and gives her what he wants just because of her persistence. Um, or perhaps the parable when he talks about the person going to the other person's house by night and knocking and the person saying, hey, look, it's late, uh, go go home. And the person keeps knocking and keeps knocking, so eventually he gets his answer. And the point is that persistence in prayer is something that God tells us is an important part of seeing the answers to our prayers. Now, there are other things, but that is something that is clearly taught by Scripture. So um, to conclude on this point, I think that Christianity needs to turn us into great Ephesians 5 spouses and that needs to be the testimony that our christianity has and i think the books that you have to read about that men you have no excuse you have to read the five love languages you just got to women of course that's important to read that too but you have to read the book love and respect both of those books are available in a million different kinds of formats and Kindle and audiobook and everything else. So there's just a lot of stuff out there for you to, to listen to those. It would be great if you listen to both of them, but it's really uh, important for you to at least listen to the respective one. Okay, I think that is all for question number one. Let's move on to question number two. Question two is another amalgamation question. So I'm taking a lot of different questions about a similar topic and squeezing them into one question. And that is, how do I get out of a spiritual rut? So the idea is you were saved and everything was great and you were very zealous and everything. But over time, you kind of lost that fire, as it were, and, you know, various things are happening and you don't want them. And you've tried to sort of 
will yourself back into it, but it's not really working and you're in a spiritual rut. This can also do apl- apply to people that maybe never were very zealous for the Lord. Maybe for whatever reason, they just sort of always have been kind of the Christian that's, you know, a Christian, but not really a Christian, you know. Um, so that'll apply to you. It'll also apply just to basically anybody that's interested in in Christian doctrine or development. So here we go. First of all, if you want this, just like anything else, uh, a behavior or something that you want in or a result that you want in your flesh, it's going to require a lifestyle change. For example, if you want to lose 30 or 50 pounds or something like that, let's say you really need to lose some weight and you know you need to and you've been thinking about it and you've been making little tweaks here and there. Well, I won't eat this thing or I won't eat that thing anymore. If you need to lose 30 to 50 pounds or whatever, a tweak isn't going to do it. You need a lifestyle change. You need a corresponding 30-pound lifestyle change. You want to lose 30 pounds? That's going to require a 30-pound style life style change so um and it's similar with this you're wanting something that's a a different and big goal you want to be somebody that's very on fire for the lord and and you know really that's the kind of thing that you want well there's probably going to be some things that you're going to have to do it's not going to happen just because you pick up the bible a little bit more than you do now or whatever there is going to have to be some things that are going to have to happen and i think it's very biblical so what do we need to do to get out of this spiritual rut? Well, there are a lot of things I'm, in, I'm going to tell you to do, but let's start off with what not to do, because this is something I don't think I normally would have incorporated into this, but after reading it so many times in so many different ways in Scripture recently, I just feel convicted that this is maybe the reason for some of us that we have so little joy and so little uh, zealousness, and that is the the not... Uh, keeping more separate from the world. Stop letting so much junk into your mind. And as we'll see, as the Bible talks about it, as your soul, too. Stop letting that stuff uh, defile you. Um, you know, if we're if you looked at an audit of your life and you are spending, you know, eight hours, seven you know hours a week watching shows that are really not very good, on TV or movies or something like that, that maybe they're not explicitly bad. I mean, we Christians don't want to watch explicitly bad stuff, do we? But we watch stuff that's, you know, not good and has very not good themes and maybe there's a lot of blood and death all over it or whatever. I'm not saying that that's a sin necessarily, but if that's what we're spending our time doing, we're soaking in that week after week after week, but we are not doing any of the things that, we're supposed to do. You're not reading the Bible or praying or fellowshipping or worshiping. Or, I mean, what should we expect about your life? I mean, how should your life be except for the way it is right now with no joy and uh, no zealousness and just flat? Um, what, see what I'm saying there? Now, let's see a little bit about what the Bible says about it because it's really interesting. Second Corinthians seven one says, having therefore these promises, and he's quoting um, in the previous chapter where... In the Old Testament, it says, Be ye separate, says the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He says, Having therefore these promises from the Old Testament, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay, so Paul says that if you want to perfect holiness, that what you do is a not do here. He actually gave us, to perfect holiness, we don't... Uh, well, we need to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness, and in context, that is to not have anything to do with a lot of those things that defile us, okay? So, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, this is repeated in a lot of different ways in a lot of different passages, so I'm just going to read a few more. Tim, uh, Titus 2, 11-14, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So here, again, we have this idea 
of denying ungodliness as, as to be result-oriented in this idea. James says it this way, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So first he's quoting that idea of that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So it's, it's contingent, your Christian uh, life and the fact that it's not automatic and to get more, even more and more zealous as your Christian life goes on, you need to, as James puts it, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So there's a, you've got to do your part here too. And, and James says in the next, in the next uh, sentence, cleanse your hands. He tells us to cleanse our hands. So in this context of wanting, to, wanting God to draw near to us, we have to draw near, near to him and cleansing our hands is the first way that James tells us to do this. So again, this is idea of, of keeping separate as, uh, from those things that are defiling us. Peter says that. Very well. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, in this context, fleshly lusts can, can basically apply to a whole host of things. But he's saying that they war against the soul. What do you think a war against your soul would do? Well, it would probably uh, result in a very uh, pacified soul who had no um, zealousness for God and wasn't particularly joyful or anything else. Okay, It may be that your current state is a result of a war against your soul because you have not abstained from any kind of fleshly lust. So there's a lot of stuff that you're letting in in addition to the fact that you're not building yourself up with the other stuff that the Bible tells us to do. Okay? Another thing that we can do is related to this, and that is a consistent daily repentance um, of the sin that we find ourselves doing or wanting to do. And when we repent about that and sort of put to death the old man consistently and reckon yourself that old man is dead, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And then the more that you can daily recognize through the help of the Holy Spirit, once you start to commit to do this, you'll start to see it right away. When you find yourself in sin and or in your heart wanting to sin, that you can repent of that. And the less of you and your flesh that is there, the more that you can put to death of the old man or you and your flesh, the more of Christ there can be. Now, maybe that's not a, a technical, exactly a perfect sort of theological thing, but... The less of you, the more of Jesus there can be, is the, basically that I'm trying to say. And that, that as you repent uh, and, and put to death at those moments consistently, uh, the more filled you can be with his joy and peace and his zealousness, because ultimately he is zealous for the things of God and he wants you to be as well. And so that that character that you're going to, that you want to take on is really not, you per se. We're not trying to change your personality. We're trying to put you to death so that he can operate more in your life. Okay? So Paul says it this way. Uh, he says, Romans 6 6, knowing this, that our, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and hence that henceforth forth we should not serve sin. Um, he continues a few verses later, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so the way that I kind of think about this sometimes is I use this as sort of a motivation to consistently change my mind and repent about something. So if I find myself you know, wanting to do something that I know I shouldn't and I know kills, steals, and destroys. And I know if I do that thing, it's just going to cause this cycle of now I want to do it more and everything else. But I know if I can resist that thing now and don't do it, it's going to go away in a few minutes and I'm not going to think about it for a month, two months, so, you know, whatever. It's going to maybe never again. So what what I do is I use this putting to death the old man as a motivation for that. So uh, when that comes, comes about, I, I say, you know, that's that's the old man trying to come up and have his say here. You know, the old me, the pre-saved me would have wanted that. But that man is dead. I need to consistently put him more and more to death. And one of the ways that I do that is being is recognizing that that's what's happening and then denying it. And and that has really taken the, the bite 
out of uh, sinful uh, arrows that uh, the scripture tells us that Satan will try to throw some some darts at you, okay? Uh, he's going to do that, saved or not saved. He's going to throw those darts. And you can say, look, that's the old man, that's the old woman. I'm putting that to death right now. So, And I think it's it's that consistent idea of denying and repenting from sin. If you find yourself in bitterness or unforgiveness, dealing with that right then, it may not seem like the the the, the bitterness goes away immediately, but do it anyway. Um, and the repentance, you know, you don't want that, even though you can't get rid of that unforgiveness or bitterness right then. You can pray about it. You can recognize it. It's so it's a consistent dealing with those things that are defiling our soul that we ought not to be doing. It's a warring against them and an attempt to change our minds and be holy for the purpose of gaining more of God. Colossians 3 says it very well. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Okay, this is an important part of this. We are obviously getting the same kind of thing here in Colossians chapter 3, but he's saying that the new man, a characteristic of the new man, is the renewed in knowledge. He's renewed in knowledge. And I think that's where we can kind of shift into the positive things, the things that you should be doing, otherwise known as the spiritual disciplines. One of these spiritual disciplines that my wife has recently discovered was a very great uh, help to her spiritual life was being still from the verse be still and know that i'm god you know my wife tried to do a lot of the things you know read the bible and do all the different things but for her this was almost like a really revolutionary thing in terms of how much it affected and and uh, blessed her which was the just being still finding time to not just to pray and spend time but to listen and just seek a relationship with god and it's like that verse says, be still and know that I'm God, trying to know God, which is, um, you know, I think explained really, really good in the video series that I mentioned recently called Be Still uh, by Francis Chan's wife, Lisa Chan. And you can get those, you can download them on her site for like four bucks or something like that. Uh, so just type in Lisa Chan, it should come up right away in Google. But anyway... The, the that particular video series, Be Still. So that I would kind of put into the category of prayer um, because I think prayer oftentimes is sort of a series of requests, you know, a checklist that you can do. I think we don't think of it as much as telling God about your day, kind of opening up to him like you would open to a very trusted, confidant, father figure or whatever it is that, that you kind of like can open up in that kind of way and talk to them and in, in like about the situations that are burdening your heart like the most like that's the kind of thing he wants to deal with you about not just a series of requests of what you need and what you don't need and i think it's in that knowledge of god that's how we attain a lot of the knowledge of god is through that and i think that it's actually through that that you'll come out of that with peace um i often think about it like he's downloading some peace and even answers to your soul as you as you do that even though you might not hear you know a word from the sky or anything else like that but uh it is an answer nonetheless and i think that as we grow closer to him it's even more intimate the way that he answers us in those kinds of situations but so certainly prayer is more than just a checklist it's it's more than just i mean it's hard to do consistently that's why it's a Christian discipline, you know, it's something that you have to change. It's just like we talked about with losing weight. Well, you want to lose 30 pounds, you're going to have to change your lifestyle quite a bit. And in this situation, if you want um, you, a consistent prayer, not just do it once this week or whatever, uh, and then forget about it next week, but find a way to make that a part of your life. 
make sure you're in bed an hour early so you're not going to be tired and you're going to spend that time in prayer and reading the Bible or what have you. Reading the Bible is another one, obviously. Um, try to find some way that's not a burden to you to do it, something that you can do it well with, whether that's getting an MP3 player and, and playing the audio Bible on your way to work or putting it on CD or whatever. Just be getting the Bible consistently. If you can read one chapter at a time or just try to go through entire books at a time and or Bible reading plans or whatever, figure out a way that you can consistently read the Bible. If you need a Kindle, get a Kindle, whatever. Um, okay, so... Maybe that's a good reason to get an iPad. I don't know. But uh, it's good. You could always try it anyway. Actually, I would probably go for the uh, Galaxy Tab myself. But anyway, so moving on to the other uh, things is fellowship. This is a surprising uh, one, especially for introverts like me, that's like, well, you know, I can pass on the fellowship because I'm an introvert and I don't really like that stuff. But there's something about being with people that are passionate about Jesus that will affect you, that that might be the thing that you're missing for a spiritual renewal. It very well may be. Now, this is kind of a difficult thing because you just don't get that anywhere. Um, You just don't find uh, people that are on fire for Jesus Christ just at any old place. Uh, Listen, a church is a really great place to start. And finding a good church that has good, strong doctrinally. If you find a good church that's really good and strong doctrinally, chances are there are on-fire believers there that you can hook up with and just, you know, whatever, talk to or whatever. Try to find the person that just always wants to talk about Jesus, you know? Every time the conversation stops, he's like, you know, talking about Jesus or whatever. That's the guy you need to spend more time with and fellowship with. And that might be the thing that you're missing, Okay. Worship is another thing that's a part of the spiritual discipline that um, that is really hard to do not in church. You can say, well, I don't need to go to church and I can do worship another place. But really, worship is happens best in the church. I mean, you're just not going to spend 30 minutes standing up, you know, possibly raising your hands and really just worshiping God in your house. If you do, that's great. Maybe you should do that. But I'll tell you this, worship music is the way to do that. And uh, I just, I mean, you can certainly worship God any way. You don't need music. But I think music, and we certainly see this in the Psalms, it is a way to worship God that intensifies it. God intended for music to intensify worship. And so music at its highest and best purpose is glorifying God and causing worship towards him, in my opinion. At least glorifying God, maybe not the worship part, but I think that personally the highest and best use of music is to facilitate God's purpose for music, which is to facilitate worship. Okay, um, So I would encourage you, do find some way to do that. You know, Download whatever, some Hillsong records or whatever. Uh, and listen to it on your iPad as you're running or whatever. It will start. You know, you, it's amazing how listening to good worship music, you know, begins to seep into your um, your doctrine and stuff too. I mean, uh, you start to think, yes, God is good because of that. I didn't, you know, I never thought about that reason to praise God. And I'm not talking about specific doctrinal issues. Please don't send me anything about why Hillsong is bad or whatever. Um, I'm just talking about reasons to glorify God are in worship music. Like, that is a good reason to glorify God. And plus, there's all this music going on. God is great. You know, it's just, it does things to help that. So, worship and, and will change and be a part of this whole process, okay? Um... You know, I could go on and talk about some of the other stuff, but I think that I said my piece with all this stuff. The bottom line is that a change in your spiritual uh, life will require a change in your actual life. You're going to have to do something different. Your life is going to have to look different if you want to achieve this goal. And it will have include a, a getting rid of a lot of junk that is hurting and defiling your soul. If you're just drinking in bad stuff on TV all the time and not putting in anything good then of course your life is struggling right now, your spiritual life is struggling. There is no other outcome, mathematically, that can happen in that situation. Okay, I think I said what I wanted to say. So let's move on. Question number three. Question number three is, do I have any recommendations for other podcasts that are similar to this one? So I do have a lot of recommendations for podcasts. I really enjoy podcasts. I think they're really important. In fact, I think that 
podcast can be one of those ways that we just talked about to sort of give good input. You know, you've got to commute to work. You can't do anything else. You might as well put some positive, godly information on your MP3 player and let it soak in. Uh, that being said, I have some other recommendations here that are not really particularly uh, helpful in that regard, but I'll just give you that the list. I should also say that lately... I have not been listening to as many podcasts, so this list it would have looked different than it, it it would have a few years ago. And lately I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, and I'm also researching stuff all the time with my MP3 player time. So if I know I have a proje- project coming up, I'll be listening to information about that particular subject matter. So I might not really be enjoying what I'm listening to all the time. I'm just listening to it because I want to learn about it. So... Uh, that being said, here are the podcasts that I like and listen to. I'm, I'm going to divide it up a little bit into different categories. First of all, as many of you know, I really like verse-by-verse Bible teaching, and I could just listen to it forever. That's how I got to um, really know a lot about the Bible when I was a new Christian, is I just listened to a lot of verse-by-verse teaching. Over the years, I have really narrowed it down to about three guys, all of which are on the Christianity 101 DVD. Uh, that I send out for free. And in fact, two of them, I put almost their entire archive on the 8-gigabyte uh, dual-layered DVD. Um, I mentioned David Guzik. That's G-U-Z-I-K. He is the pastor at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara. Uh, I love his stuff. He is, every time I listen to him, and this is the same thing with a lot of the this kind of stuff, whether it's preaching or any kind of teaching, you might be thinking, oh, I'd rather listen to so-and-so, you know, whatever news and information show that you really like. And I'd rather listen to that. I don't want to listen to the other stuff because I won't like it. But if you just can get yourself to turn on the preaching or the verse-by-verse teaching or the Bible or whatever, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is really good. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this is amazing. But every time I... Listen to David Guzik, I'm like, man, this guy is just so good. I mean, he's such such a gifted Bible teacher. I'm always impressed by him. Uh, similarly, uh, Stephen Armstrong, I'm not sure where he is a pastor of. I'm not sure which church it is, but he's got a ministry online called Verse by Verse Ministries, and he has some great insight, uh, insightful stuff that he does. And also Damien Kyle. Damien Kyle is a pastor in, in Modesto, California. And I also like him because he's just, he has a way, and he's going through and has a lot of stuff in the Old Testament right now, um, but he has a way of sort of getting the heart out of every sort of passage of Scripture, and he really uses it well for the purpose of preaching. So I, I just really enjoy Damien, Damien Kyle. They're different styles, Damien Kyle and David Guzik. And David Guzik and Stephen Armstrong are both sort of technical guys, where Damien Kyle is sort of big picture guy. Uh, but I love those guys, and I love their verse-by-verse teaching. And I'll put all these in the show notes, so if you go to NowhereToRunRadio.com, in the show notes of this episode, 9-20-2013, will be these links. Okay, for preaching, now this is different than, than, than the verse-by-verse teaching. I really like John Piper's stuff. Now, John T- Piper's now retired, I believe he's finally retired, but a lot of his old stuff is online. I know a lot of people, you know, don't like it because he's a Calvinist or whatever, but he he is such a great preacher. He's probably one of the best preachers of our time, in my opinion. And he is a really, you know, really sticks to the scriptures, and he also has a way of applying it, and his goal is to glorify Christ, and it just really comes through in all of his messages. So I really like John Piper. I think you can't go wrong with listening to just a lot of him in terms of your development and discipleship. Okay, Apologetics. I used to listen to a ton of apologetic shows, and there's a lot of great ones out there. But lately, I've kind of narrowed it down to two that I like. Uh, one is called Reasonable Faith, and this is on the Revelations Radio Network, which, by the way, I should say, all the podcasts on the Revelations Radio Network are my favorites. That's why they're on there, is because I like them a lot. So um, the Revelations Radio Network, subscribe to that, and you will get a lot of these actually in the same place. You'll get Damon Kyle, David Guzik. You'll get a Reasonable Faith and a few others that I'm going to mention. So um, so re- subscribe to Revelations Radio Network and you will get a lot of this stuff. Um, reasonable Faith is William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig is a just tremendously brilliant man who is um, a philosopher. I think he is a professor of philosophy. He's got PhDs all over the place and stuff like that. Very... Uh, highbrow kind of stuff, but it's 
incredibly entertaining to me, and I really like William Craig and his debates of all the big guys. You know, he debates your uh, uh, Christopher Hitchenses and, and Sam Millers, and uh, I think he recently debated um, Bart Ehrman on the resurrection. He's just that guy. He's the guy that you want to debate on those issues. So anyway, Reasonable Faith. He's got another one out there. I can't remember the name of it, but William Lane Craig. Uh, also, Apologetics 315, they have one that's interviews, and I think they have another one. Both of them are good, Apologetics 315. They have a massive, massive archive that I discussed in a video one time on YouTube of Apologetics material. So, wow, if you get a chance to do that, go to Apologetics 315, their ultimate archive page or whatever they're calling it. There's just a ton of stuff. I think there's got to be like two, three hundred, four hundred MP3s on that page. And you can download them all with the Firefox app called Download Them All or Down Them All. I can't remember what the Firefox plugin is called. But if you download that Firefox app and you're on that massive archive page of Apologetics 315, well, you'll download them all. And you can put them on your uh, MP3 player that way, too. Okay, so Apologetics uh, Prophecy. Okay, um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of stuff that I really get a lot out of in terms of prophecy podcasts, but the ones that I really, really like, um, Biblical Prophecy Program by Alan Kirshner. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't been putting as many of these out lately because he's doing his school's back in session and he's doing his PhD, uh, and so doesn't quite get uh, doesn't quite get as much time to do the podcasts. But his archive is really good. He's also on the Revelations Radio Network too. So Bibli- Biblical Prophecy Program, and also Pre Wrath Radio Online. Again, this is one that doesn't get updated much anymore, but the archives are great. And this is Charles Cooper, for the most part, though he's played some other stuff on that program as well. Okay, moving on to some of the uh, other kinds of stuff, besides uh, particularly Christian stuff. Um, There is news and information. So, news and information podcast, I really like the Revelation Radio News program, which is on the Revelations Radio Network, with Tim Kilkenny, Andrew Hoffman. Love their back and forth, love the stories and everything, so... Revelations Radio News. Also, the Corbett Report, James Corbett. That is an excellent uh, example of the way that news should be. And I really enjoy the Corbett Report. It's a place that you can go and really uh, pick up what a lot of the mainstream and is not uh, uh, putting down for you. So it's a great place to go. Almost a one-stop shop for a lot of that stuff. But as far as one-stop shop for news and information, like going to a CNN.com or something like that, um, Alex Jones, I think, in Infowars.com is a place that I go sort of just to kind of a look to see what's going on in the world. Like when you want to do that, I know everybody's got issues with Alex Jones or whatever. I don't particularly care about a lot of that stuff. My main thing is that that that, that site is a really great site for uh, news. So I also listen to the show occasionally too. So the Alex Jones show for news. Also, Dr. Stan, uh, Radio Liberty, really great show. Been on forever. That guy's just doing uh, so much and has done so much for the Christian conspiracy world. He's underrated and such an amazing uh, a, a guy that he has done this for so many years, left a lucrative career uh, to, to really basically just raise awareness about all the stuff that we're interested in. He's just so. Uh, unapologetic about the nature of all this stuff, then why it's happening and everything else. So, Doctor Stan, he's got archives forever and ever and ever. He's the he's the guy to go to for a lot of this stuff. So, and then finally, the category of just other, just other podcasts that really, you know, I listen to, and I think p- topping this list is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I eagerly await every Hardcore History episode. I mean, I just think it is great. It's like the one sort of guilty pleasure I have in the podcast world is whenever hardcore history comes out, I'm like, yeah, stop everything. Let's do it. Uh, also I, if you haven't done it already, I've talked about this a a lot on the show is the the history of Rome podcast. It's got, I don't know how many 150, 170 episodes of the history of Rome that you'll get addicted to that about episode 30. And it's just go, go all the way through and you'll really learn a lot about Rome. I, I, just love the History of Rome podcast. I've listened to it twice all the way through. Um, also, Common Sense by Dan Carlin. This is Dan Carlin of Hardcore History's sort of political commentary. I really enjoy his commentary on the news. He has a lot of sort of views that I think a lot of us here in the conspiracy world have. I don't think he's a conspiracy theorist per se, 
but he is uh, definitely there in terms of we see the news very, very similar, and I think he's a, a great commentator for that. And then finally, Boag World. I mentioned this recently, too. This is a website design podcast for people that may be interested in that kind of stuff or doing stuff online for uh, a living or just a whole lot. Boag World is great because they are extremely funny guys and they are very British and it's just a very entertaining podcast. So if you're at all interested in website design kind of stuff, you'll love Boag World because they'll keep you entertained and, and everything else. So, okay, that's my recommendations for podcasts and that is the show too. So I want to recap a little bit first about the Mystery Babylon book. The launch will be early next week, probably the twenty. 3rd or 24th of September, maybe a few days after that, depending on when the paperback gets in. If you see it being advertised on Facebook or the trailer somewhere, consider a share of the trailer. I would really appreciate that. Also, I would really appreciate a comment on uh, and a rating on Amazon. That would be extremely helpful to me. You can check the show notes of this episode if you want to know more about the things I said about marriage or the books that I recommended or anything like that, or when I talked about getting out of the spiritual rut, the books and things that I recommended there, and all the audios that I referenced here in the last section of the show about the podcast. You can do that all at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Thanks a lot for your time, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.